Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming and we invite in the Holy Spirit that you may be with us today, that our hearts may be open to your words, that your spirit will, will come and be part of us and that it stays and as we, as we continue on, our life becomes more like the life you would want us to have. Lord, we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a guest speaker today. Uh, I'm, let's see if I can find his name. Hegel. Yeah. He's a guest emeritus. Guest emeritus, yes. Thank you, Jerry. It's good, always good to see you and Iris. Um, John has been so kind as to record the uh, services and has been putting the podcast up there and they have been done very well and uh, thank you very much John thank you. all right let's worship our Lord a glorious grandstand since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight Hebrews 12 1 if the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents, that's in Luke 15:10, then the angelic hosts are numbered among the spectators in the heavenly grandstands. They are included among those who are referred to as so great a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12:11, and they never miss any of the details of our earthly pilgrimage. Nor does our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit overlook what is going on here. As the Bible says, all things are open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In his book, Though I Walk Through the Valley, Dr. Vance Havener told of an old preacher who worked into the night on a sermon for his small congregation. His wife inquired why he spent so much time on a message he would give to so few people. And to this the minister replied, you forget, my dear, how large my audience will be. Dr. Havener added, nothing is trivial here if heaven looks on. We shall all play a better game of it, seeing we are compassed round about by so great a cloud of witnesses, those in the grand stand. The hope for today, nothing about our lives is trivial when God himself looks on. No activity is too mundane for the heavenly host to observe. How would you go about your daily tasks if you believed this to be true? Amen. The birds of the air are silent. 
Let's worship him. We have 
Our Old Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 45, verses 10 through 17. Listen to me, O royal daughter. Take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away, for your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The princess of Tai will shower you with gifts. The wealthy will beg your favor. The bride of princess looks glorious in her golden gown. In her beautiful robe, she is lifts to the king, accompanied by her bridesmaid. What a joyful and enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. Your sons will become kings like their fathers. You will make them rule over many lands. I will bring honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. We say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're going to sing Lilies of the Valley. Sweeping up to glory, I'll see his blessed face. 
Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and then 25 through 30. To what I can, can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say, he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one sure, truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one really knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If you take your bulletin, we have a responsive reading. Eternal God, Stir our minds and stimulate our hearts with the sense of patriotism on this 4th of July. May all that this day symbolizes renew our faith in freedom, our devotion to democracy, and redouble our efforts to keep a government of the people, by the people, for the people, truly alive in our world. Grant that we may highly resolve on this day to dedicate ourselves anew to the task of ushering in an era when good will shall live in the hearts of a free people. Justice shall be the light to guide their feet and peace shall be the goal of humankind to the glory of your holy name for the good of our nation and all mankind. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask during this time that our hearts be open, that we realize that all belongs to you and that you entrusted to, have entrusted to us. And you call on us to give back, to help those that are in, in need, to help those that have not been blessed as the same way that you have blessed us. You've blessed us by letting us come to know you. So Lord, let us take our offerings and let us help teach others, help us reach out, help us be some of those people that provide gifts to children, that reach out and share your word, Lord, that 
all may, may be part of your family. This we ask in your son's name. Amen. We're going to look at uh, Galatians for just a few minutes this morning. I don't want to rush into the table communion service. So we're looking this morning at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And I'll preach part of my sermon today and part of it the next time I preach. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. <clears throat> Paul is uh, very exercised when he says this. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed, anathema. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Amen, amen to that. Father, thank you again for today. And Lord, as we look at this and see this table and prepare for to receive communion, Lord, for for all that it means, I pray, Lord, that we've taken communion often, but I pray that it never, ever, ever, ever takes on something that is routine, but that, Lord, every time we take communion, that it will be fresh and a tremendous reminder of the price that your Son has paid for us. Commit this time to you, Lord. Pray for the freedom that you might give to me. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Not many Americans who know that there are actually four official verses to the Star-Spangled Banner. And even fewer know a little-known unofficial fifth verse written a half a century later by Oliver Wendell Holmes. It goes like this. When our land is illumined with liberty's smile, if a foe from within strike a blow to her glory, down, down with the traitor that dares to defile the flag of her stars and the page of her story. By the millions unchained who our birthright have gained, we will keep her bright, we will keep her bright blazon forever unstained. And the star-spangled banner is triumph shall wave, while the land of the free is the home of the brave. I, 
I've shared with you before, and we've been together now for over 12 years, that uh, I never had the opportunity to serve in the military. And um, believe it or not, I've often been disappointed about that. I had a brother-in-law who graduated from West Point, and of course he served in, the Berea, in Korea. Eventually he passed away with uh, cancer. Then I had a brother who served in the Navy, and um, they were such good friends, my brother-in-law and my brother, and one of them was named Jughead. And that, all I heard around my house was Jughead this and Jughead that. And I don't know if, I can't remember right now which one it was, but, um, and the other one had a different nickname, but I can't remember what that was even, so, well, so. But anyway, um, my mother always had a star hanging in the front window because of the son that, my brother, that served in the Navy. And uh, I love our country. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I wanna say to you today, God bless America. I am so thankful for our country and for the freedom uh, that we enjoy. Joseph Cook, in the book Celebration of Grace, Living in Freedom, he writes, there was a day when my whole life caved in. I had been born into a Christian home, attended Christian schools, Christian environment, and helped by many Christian teachers and friends. I had early made confession of Christ and had grown up, grown year by year in Christian knowledge and teaching. I had also committed my life to Christ, received excellent training in a good Bible college, and had been commissioned as a missionary to Thailand under a reputable Christian mission board. Life seemed wonderful. Insofar as I was able, I had gone all the way with Christ and was looking forward to the challenges and rewards of a lifetime myself at the end of the road. I had what they call a nervous breakdown and became to totally unable to go on. I returned to the US. I soon found myself unable to preach, unable to teach, unable to read my Bible, unable to pray, and unable to face the least spiritual challenge or duty without a threat of personal intergeneration. I was of no use to God, to my wife, to anyone else. I had been reduced to absolute zero, and somehow I had to find a way to put my life back together and learn to live over again. He continues, or I should say he ends with this. This is not a place to tell about the long, slow climb back to life, hope, and wholeness. But I do want to tell you about one thing that has been crucial in the process. It's a new understanding and appreciation of the grace of God. I was gonna ask you this morning, I was gonna give you a quiz. Can you guess what topic is my favorite? God's grace, right.
And I've been, I was thinking this morning um, and last few days, I said, why? Why has God's grace become so important to me? Well, I think one of the reasons was is that I grew up in such a strict, not my parents, they were wonderful people, but I grew up in a church atmosphere that was uh, very legalistic, very legalistic. Um, bothered me as some of the Christians that I admired most would go to Chicago 90 miles away to do the things that they wouldn't do in my hometown because they didn't want anybody from the church to see them. And I thought to myself, isn't that a shame that we have to live with that kind of burden on us? And then just another paragraph, short one here. This author, Joseph Cook, says, not that I was totally ignorant of the grace of God before. I had always believed it, prized it, a central part of my faith. I had carefully studied Paul's teachings on the subject, especially as developed in the book of Romans and Galatians. And I had frequently preached and taught these same truths, but at the same time, on a deeper level, I lived most of my early part of my life with a legalistic, ungracious God. Only as I began to see how profoundly I had been living under the shadow of such a God and to see the meaning of his grace on the heart-habit level was I able to begin to work my way through to a life of greater freedom and fulfillment. I think many Christians today at least in the circles, that, not, not the circles we move in now, but the circles that I moved in when I was younger. Unfortunately, I grew up, not unfortunate that I grew up, but unfortunate that I grew up in a church that was very, very legalistic. Uh, people who snuck off and did things that they wouldn't do at home because of the legalistic attitude that existed and my church, and my church wasn't that way. My pastor's preaching wasn't that way. Dr. Harold Erickson was a wonderful Bible teacher. But something happened in the culture of the church um, and to the people. But Paul says here that he was amazed that they had quickly deserted him, who Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ. And I need to quit here in a moment. I'll finish the sermon at another time, but I wanted us to have some thoughts this morning as we come to the table. I just celebrated my, our 82nd birthday, and... Um, I've come to this table so many times. And I'm always sensitive each time that we do it here at the church, as I serve communion, that we not lose, please, let's not lose the impact and the meaning of eating and drinking together. 
That's the most important thing that we can do. The most symbol, most that we can celebrate. It's interesting because, oh, I have so much I want to tell you today that we'll do it again. Paul is, he is very upset with the Galatians. It's the only letter where he comes at them directly with such strong force so early in his letter. To the Corinthians, one of the most immoral churches, we read about that in the Bible, he wasn't as hard on them as he was the Galatians. Because what they had done is they had corrupted the gospel of grace by mixing it with legalism. I don't have any problem if you don't want to wear makeup, if you don't, well, you don't want to let, you want to cut your hair short, that men shave, that you wear a little paint on your face. <laughs> we used to go over to a restaurant, a Coco's, I don't think it's still there. Um, trying to remember what street that was on. But anyway, it was over west. But there was a holiness church nearby, and we'd go there for lunch on Sundays, and people from this church would come. The church is still there. And it was interesting to see them how they dressed, what they looked like. And to them, it was important. And, and I don't take anything away from them. And they were gracious people. They never told me that I should do something different than I'm doing. But I thought to myself when I used to see that, I hope they're free and gray. And I hope they celebrate the grace of God. Father, prepare us for the table. Lord, thank you. Thank you for grace. Something that we don't deserve, that we can never merit, merit or earn, Father, but something that we want to do in remembrance of what your Son has done for us. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah for your forgiveness. And as we eat and drink together this morning, we want to do so in remembrance of your Son. Prepare our hearts, I pray, and our lives in Christ's name. Amen.
seated, please, for a few minutes. I needed to come up and get my Bible. This is what Paul writes. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat in remembrance of him. He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Our Lord, we drink in remembrance of you this morning. In your name we do it. Amen. Thank you, Father, for giving us the best, best gift we could ever have. We didn't even want the gift. And yet you gave it to us that first Christmas. And then he paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. We have eaten and we have drunk this morning in remembrance of him in Christ's name. In Christ's name. We pray. Amen. pass it on, it, it kind of um, reminds me of, um, as we, the fire is just so new, and, and how just that, that spark, just that lightning, and it took it all around the mountain, and how many, how many acres that burned, and, and so this just talks about, um, you know, how just a little spark can get God's word going throughout Tucson. Oh. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we go out this week, let us want to pass it on. Let us take your word. Take the lessons you have, because we know some of the lessons are rough. Um, Paul's letter to the Galatians wasn't a friendly, hi, how are you? It was, hey, what you doing? Exodus, we hear Moses going to Pharaoh again and again. And God says, well, I'm going to punish you. But we know what great love there was behind that as well, Lord. We know the love you, had for your, you have for your people and how you wanted them to come out and to be free to come and worship you, Lord. We are part of that people. Thank you, Lord. This in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.